about thought-provoking topics. Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club, exclusively a Pink Kangaroo production. Tuesday's Book Club is a place where you can conveniently listen to some of the world's best-selling authors, their intriguing stories, and apply what you feel will help you on your journey of growth. I am going to introduce my lovely co-hosts, Barbara Donato and Toby Santagato, and I'm Nova Lorraine. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hello. So today's book, we're going to explore The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. What did you guys think? Amazing. Wonderful. Tears. Crying. Oh, every emotion you could think of. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was so heart-filling, but tragic at the same time. But we will get into that in a minute. I'm going to share with our listeners, those of you that are joining us for the first time, our next episode, we're going to be covering The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And following that, we'll be discussing The Girl Interrupted by Susanna Kaysen. So get your notepads out, your smartphone, whatever you have, jot those down. You want to keep up with us, guys. The Power of Now, and then following that, The Girl Interrupted. So get those books and read along. So we have The Nightingale. It was published in April of 2017. It's a New York Times bestseller. Wall Street Journal, best book of the year, and soon to be a motion picture. This unforgettable novel of love and strength in the face of war has enthralled a generation. So I am going to read a little summary from our publisher, like we usually do. With courage, grace, and powerful insight, best-selling author Kristen Hanna captures the epic panorama of World War II and illuminates an intimate part of history seldom seen, the women's war. The Nightingale tells the stories of two sisters separated by years and experience, by ideals, passion, and circumstance, each embarking on her own dangerous path towards survival, love, and freedom in the German-occupied war-torn France. It's a heartbreaking, beautiful novel that celebrates the resilience of the human spirit and the durability of women. It is a novel for everyone, a novel for a lifetime. That was a mouthful. Mouthful. What do you guys think of the description that the publisher gave of the book? I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I think it captures it very well. I mean, especially yeah. where it discusses the durability of women. Holy smokes. I mean, what these women had gone through. And love, survival, freedom. Like, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, what would I do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was such a roller coaster ride, guys. Yeah. I had to put the book down several times. <laughs> Just, uh, you know what it was? There were certain parts of the book where I guess I was frustrated thinking that, oh, I would do this differently. So I would get upset and I would put the book down. And then I would like think about what these girls were going through or, and young women were going through and realizing in that time, is that really something that I would do? 
or would I do exactly what they did given the circumstances? So I found myself reflecting a lot on what would I do in the event that these situations were brought to my door? How would I deal with some of these, oh my goodness, some of these life or death situations? How would I protect my family? How would I protect my children? Would I do the same thing or would I do something different? For me, it's more personal because I am Jewish and my father did come over from Austria at the age of two on the last ship that was able to get out. And similarly, Austria kind of just let the Nazis come in. There was not a fight. But the weirdest thing, and it's a coincidence, is this morning I was boxing up some old silverware and I, I got emotional, which I normally don't. It's kind of in the way, but it's my father's, his mother's. And it was, they got so few things out. And here I've got this silverware that they took out of Austria during, really, it was like right before the Holocaust, they ran away. And it was just like, oh my God, they took everything from them. You know, so it's definitely emotional for me. You said your grandfather? No, my father, my father. Your father was two years old when he came over. Yep, with his parents. And he was with his parents? That's amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I want to just touch on the time period a little bit in more detail and some information about the girls, the sisters we're talking about. So this was, I guess, starting out, it opens up in 1939 in France in a quiet village of Caravaux. Vian Moriac says goodbye to her husband, Antoine, as he heads to the front. She doesn't believe the Nazis will invade France, but invade they do in droves of marching soldiers and caravans of trucks and tanks and planes that fill the skies and drop bombs upon the innocent. When a German captain requisitions Vian's home, she and her daughter must live with the enemy or lose everything. Then we have Vian's sister, Isabel, who is a rebellious 18-year-old girl searching for her purpose with all the reckless passion of youth. While thousands of Parisians march into the unknown terrors of war, she meets Gaetan, a partisan who believes the French can fight the Nazis from within France. She falls in love with this young man, completely in love. But then when he betrays her, Isabel joins the resistance and never looks back, risking her life again and again just to save others. So those are the two sisters that are the main characters that this book revolves around. And they were so different, (laughs) which was incredible. And to, again, to experience what they were going through through their eyes, I thought the author did an amazing job taking us along with them, feeling as if we were in the house with the captain, that we were on the mountain with Isabel climbing the Pyrenees. What do you guys think about the sisters, the main characters? I like how their characters were developed at the beginning of the book. You see that their father was greatly affected by the Great War, by the First War, to the point where he was emotionally detached from his family. Mm. So much so that once the mother unfortunately passed away, he all but abandoned them. I mean, he he could have taken care of them. He realized that there, with the what he was going through with, with his own mental state, he couldn't mm-hmm. handle it. So he he had them go live uh, somewhere else, and unfortunately, these young women took it different. The oldest felt like in order for her to survive, she had to be a people person. She had to be a yes man. She had to constantly just do everything that she was told. Whereas the youngest, she was four, I think, at the time. 
Mm-hmm. And at that, you know, four years old, you're trying to figure out what you can get away with as opposed to what you can't. And <laughs> she she didn't have that love of mommy to tell her when we're as parents, we're, we lovingly tell our children not to do something. We lovingly instruct our children. And she was given such, I believe, such harsh punishment and made to realize that she was alone in this world, that she grew an incredibly thick skin. Mm. And yeah. I think a lot of her fire came from that abandonment within her. Like she always felt that people leave her. So in her mind, I'm not going to leave my people. Mm. Yeah. I think what was interesting though, at the very end, which I won't totally spoil it yet, but at the very end, you realize that they were both victimized. Yeah. Which we didn't realize. Isabel, he, she's always, and the, they make us feel like she's the more the victimized much more because her father like abandoned her in a more clear way. But both the sisters were victimized by abandonment and loss. And it develops as the story goes on. You can see the, how they both developed as humans because of that neglect and developed in such vastly different ways. But you know what else too? They were both so strong, but they were strong in, in different ways too. I was thinking about the older sister and uh, Vian, and I was thinking about how her, how Isabel was always so, oh, you just, you're constantly, you know, kind of oh, telling her, oh, you're, you're always going to do whatever t- people tell you to do and kind of looked at her like she was weak. But as I read her story, oh my goodness, I felt so, oh, what she had to do to protect those children to me was, that was strength. She knew that if she didn't do some of the things that she did, though she, she wouldn't be alive and those kids would not have been alive. So that to me showed a lot of strength within her as well. 100%. And you almost, yeah, as you get towards the end, because I believe the author sets it up where, as Toby mentioned, she's the one that's victimized more and she's the stronger one. And, and she's the smarter one in terms of her strategy and how to fight back. And And then as you get towards the end, you're like, whoa, actually, who is the stronger one? And who is the smarter one? And so that was very intriguing. And in the beginning of the story, I loved how the author is so descriptive. I mean, she paints the surroundings. She tells you about what they're wearing, how how the clothes are draping on their bodies, what their face looks like, the color of their their cheeks or their lips, depending on if they had makeup or not. I mean, she's so descriptive. She really pulls you in. And in the very beginning, she shares how Vian is this, she has every allergy in the world. She's scared of everything. She has a nervous twitch. (laughs) You know, she's like all these things at 14 when she's abandoned by her father and left at Les Jardins in, in France, the country house, you know, their family owned that was passed down through her mother's family. And they were left with this woman who seemed to be a stranger, pretty much, who didn't care about the girls, just pretty much kept them in line and disciplined them. And so you you got to know right away about Beyond and how weak she was as a teenager. And that strength that she ended up gaining really was through the love of her life, Antoine, her boyfriend that she met at 15, what, she was pregnant at, what, 16, married at 17, <laughs> you know? So she didn't spend a lot of time alone after her father abandoned her. But you did have, going into the story, you had this picture of this very weak, fragile girl. And then here she is now 
fast forward, a mom, and you're, now you're taking this journey with her as a mom in the war. Well, being a mom is such a privilege. I'm, I'm so grateful to be a mom. And it does change you in that the love that you have for your children makes you a stronger person in general. Like I would do anything for my children. And to the extent that it, I think that was the shift for her, she would do anything for her children. And that love for her children and her husband, it's powerful. It's just mm, incredible. So I, I think that's what was the shift for her. I don't think she was always strong. I think through the love of just this incredible protection of her family and her best friend and her best friend's child when her best friend dies, all of that is always in a form of protection that then drives her love to then be braver, stronger. And you know what, ladies, when I first started reading about her and her and her journey, I was very frustrated with her. She was very accommodating when mm. the Fuhrer came, when the first, when Fuhrer Beck came and was, she all but was like, yeah, sure, come live. She didn't fight it. Whereas Isabel was like very hostile and just ready, just biting him with every chance she got. And she didn't want that. She was like, no, 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 no. Like, let's try to, the war is going to be over soon. So let's just try to get through this. And I feel like whenever she did anything, you're, it was her mother. It was the mothering instinct. It was that raw. It was just when Beck confronted Isabel. She was not, uh, Vian wasn't trying to do anything else but protect her sister. That's so true. I, I agree with that frustration. I agree with that frustration. Yeah. And even with Rachel, when Rachel was like, take my baby, take Ari. And she took him and was like, he's mine now. I'm going to do everything I can to protect him. Every time they gave her a child, it was like her strength. It was like doubling. Mm. Her strength would double with each child. And she was mm. like, I'm going to do everything I can to protect these children. They are mine until I can give them back to their parents or until I can give them to safety. They're my children. And so with each child that she gets, I think she just got instinctively stronger and stronger. It wasn't more like I felt like with Isabel, she was more calculated. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do these things. I need to find a, the, where the resistance is and I'm going to do whatever I can to get there. So she knew that's what she was going to do. She had it in her heart. She was going to think about it, but not Vian. Vian was like, nope, I don't want this. But it was pushed on her. Her back was against the wall. And you know how the cats, when you know your back is against the wall, the claws come out. Mama bear comes out. And it was her <laughs> mama bear that made her go through and fight in her mm -hmm. way for these kids. And for her husband, she was like, my husband is coming back. I need to live. I need to live for my kids. Do you guys remember when Sophie, she came out of the room and Sophie was like, what are you doing? Kind of like, yeah. initially looked at her mom and was like, at first it was like a kind of disgust, like, why are you letting this happen? And she said, and her response, that's what hit me. Because I was very annoyed with, with Vian for, <laughs> for <laughs> a little bit with her decision making. But what got me to kind of stop my tracks was when she said, when you have your own children, you're going to understand. I want to jump in, Barbara, and just touch on the frustration part, especially early on in the book. And I was annoyed with her for a few reasons. One, as the older sister, she wasn't there for her younger sister. And I have a younger sister. She's eight years my junior. And Vian is, you know, there's a 10-year gap between the two girls. And she found her best friend. She found her boyfriend. And she was all good. Meanwhile, her younger sister was sent off to boarding school and then literally either running away or getting kicked out from school to school to school 
for the next 11 years of her life, pretty much, of the younger sister's life. So I was really annoyed by that. Like, I felt like she turned her back on her sister. But then when the war started, and here's the younger sister, 10 years her junior, being more protective than the older sister of the family and saying, we have to leave now. I just saw people get bombed and blown up in front of me. I know what's coming. Let's go. Let's go to the free zone. And Vian was like, no, we'll be fine. Antoine will be back soon because we know Antoine was off at war. He'll be back soon. He'll take care of everything and everything will be fine. And that was like, oh my gosh. And maybe because I grew up with four brothers, I was like, what? Girl, let's go. Get your stuff. Get out of here. I had that fight in me. I was with Isabel. Like, we need to go. And so even when Isabel was hiding their possessions, because she, again, saw forward, like, they're not going to just come and chill. They're going to take our possessions. She hid their valuables in their cellar. She hid parish food and provisions in the cellar. She hid a gun. I mean, this is a 19-year-old, 18, almost 19-year-old girl before the Nazis even came to town saying, look, we need to be prepared. And Vian was like, oh, no, we're good. Even though she saw the state that her sister was in when she showed up at her house after three days of walking from Paris, like even that blew my mind. So I think it was a coping mechanism. Like, I think that that was even her abandonment of her, her sister. There is tipping points and they're, they're different for different people. And I think what was interesting and what the author did that was interesting is not only was there a difference in their coping mechanism. There was a lot of strife internally in France. So it's not just strife. Mm. It's not like anger just against Nazis. It's anger against French people that decided, right? They were deciding what they could cope with. And their strategy was to fit in. And actually, their father pretends to fit in. And initially, Isabel, when she goes back to see her father, she's fuming. You're fitting in and you're fitting in. But he actually was one of the resistance, key resistance person. So I think that. It's interesting. And that happened all over, like in Austria, where my father came from. People were upset with their own, just like now, people get upset with people that at one point I wanted to make a dirt road into, into Barry, Florida, into a paved road. And what shocked me was I had some movement because I'm one of those people that picks up these wacky causes, but my own neighbor, some of them didn't want it. And it ended up, I moved. Because I was like, in what world would you not want safe paved roads? So just like, that's a small thing. But even in war-torn areas like that, they mm-hmm. were fighting each other too, like crushed, mm-hmm. emotionally crushed by people they trusted. Yeah. What was that group that were sort of like working undercover? It was the French that were working undercover for the Nazis that would rat out their own Frenchmen. What was that? What were they called? I forgot what that was, but it's just, it, and that happened everywhere. And so... Yeah. And to not even know who you could trust within your own community. And they would say to Isabel when she was trust no one. It wasn't like trust this one, this one, this one, trust no No one. one. Not even your family. Right. I am not a big war. I don't like reading or watching war stories. I just don't. I get too emotional and too sensitive. And this book was recommended to our book club. And I was like, cool, two sisters. I have a sister love and survival. Okay, cool. Let me see what this is about. I was not expecting the level of detail that was shared about what happened to the French or anyone actually when a war starts in terms of the bombing and things like that. The starvation, the forced starvation, the rationing, 
removing communication. But I mean, there was so much psychological warfare. Oh yeah, It was a wonder how anyone survived. I mean, all the windows had to get blacked out. You had to be in by a certain time in terms of curfew. You had to stand in line every day just to get food, every single day. And you're lucky if you got food. You're not allowed to get mail. You're not allowed to have a radio. So then communication is completely cut off. So you're, it's all about, it's all rumor. Like everything is a rumor, right? Because nothing is confirmed. There's no communication. There's no trust. There's no food. I mean, the psychology, the, oh my God, it was just so emotional going through that with that. But think about human resilience. Cause at the end of the day, they serve, whether if they died off, but like the human nature is to get back up, dust yourself off and start again. And being Jewish, I've been lucky to hear a lot of Holocaust stories from survivors. Unfortunately, they're getting very, very old. My dad's 82. And so their stories now to just need to be passed on through oral history. But what's interesting is many of them didn't stay jaded. They were so grateful to mm. stay and to live that mm. they wanted to share their message that when you forget, so there's a, a saying for Jewish people, and, and I'm not very religious, but I'm culturally Jewish. As soon as we forget, it'll come back. As soon mm. as we forget. So that's why we don't knock down statues. We leave them there and then tell the story of the statue because we don't want anything to be forgotten. If you can go back and see these concentration camps and the reason why they're still standing and they're historical locations now is to never forget. So, and in this book, they didn't forget. She didn't forget. She tried to forget that that we'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into, I think this is a good transition point to jump into some of the themes. So we have three that we want to go over, heroism, love, and emotional loss. Which do you guys want to tackle first? Yeah, there was so much heroism in it. And what really, I have many gulp moments in here. It, it really affected me. But one of the gulp moments is when Vivian says, I only saved 19 children. And it reminds me of another movie that's a true story, Schindler's List. And at the end, mm. when I start literally sobbing in a theater, which I've only done that once or twice in my life, like uncontrollably, I think it's because I was like eight months pregnant too. And I'm Jewish. But when he, his last statement in like at the end of that is, I didn't do enough. And that's how she felt. Like she felt like she didn't do enough. And that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I love that at the end when when she just wasn't, she was there for her sister. She didn't even think that anything she did had an impact. Yeah. And her heroism was actually, if you think about all the heroes, they would never think of themselves as heroes. And maybe true heroes don't think of, look at themselves that way because Isabel was a hero. Vivian was a hero. Their father ended up being a hero, dying for the cause, dying for their daughters. But none of them went into it for that reason. They went into it. It kind of connects to the love. They really did it from love, which is a much more honest place than pride or heroism. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it really hit home to me when Vian is speaking to the crowd and she looks out and sees the soldiers, the 117 soldiers and all of their families and there to celebrate their lives and the survival from the war. And Isabel crossed that mountain almost what, 30 times. It's crazy. To save 117 soldiers. This 18 that then turned 19, this 19-year-old for three years, you know, three to four years, dedicated her life to saving pilots that were downed during the war, crossing 
from France, mountainside into Spain, like still like what, and the weather, the, what they had to face just to get through one journey alone. And she decided to do it over and over again. She never could stay in one place for more than two or three days at a time. She was always sleeping on dusty mattresses. She barely was eating. She had to live. I mean, no one knew her real name. No one knew her real identity. And she couldn't spend any amount of time with anyone she knew. So she was pretty much on the run for the sake of saving lives, period. She wanted to do something impactful for the war. And that was her cause. And how many people would do that? I mean, again, at such a young age. And we were talking about the strength and weakness of the sisters earlier. I believe, Barbara, you mentioned that Isabel was calculative. I think she was she was reckless and she was fearless, but it worked to her advantage. It did. Yeah, it did. She had no fear and she didn't think about her actions. And when she, years later, when she sat to think about would she have changed anything, she said, no, I wouldn't have done a thing differently. And yes, I know I was reckless. And I know it put people's lives at risk that I love. And I know I probably should have done some, probably should have thought a little longer about some of my decisions, but I wouldn't change a thing. Because I think if she had fear and if she tried to think, three steps ahead, she wouldn't have acted. And that those actions in the moment were extremely impactful in what it led to. And did those kinds of people, and you know, we talk about them as characters, but let's face it, ladies, these are people, whether this yeah. is a true story or not, it's shocking. It's shocking to know that so many survivors actually were rescued at the camps. And then some of them were overfed by the American soldiers and they died from bloat. A lot of them died, even though they were rescued, made it through all of that. But this week, I don't even, I think we should say that it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction, it's truth, it's truth and, and bravery. And if we count all of those people and their, what they, their sacrifices are, maybe that's why the war was won in the end. It's, we always think of it as the military and the big people, but it's everyone. It was a collective effort by everybody to get rid of the Nazis and, and what they did to society. And even with Isabel's strength, when she finally, well, actually, before I say anything, they, a lot of people described her as impetuous. And I would like to say if there was any word <laughs> that would best describe Isabel, excuse me, would be impetuous. Like she really jumped into the fire before realizing it was hot. And then once she got <laughs> there, it was like, I don't care. I'm going to get out and I'm going to jump back in. So mm -hmm. that definitely described her. And I love that the author used that word for her in the book. But her will. Toby, like you said, it's the will of the people. Mm, they right. did not want to lose. I mean, mm. even when she was in the concentration camp with Micheline, and she said, we are not going to die. Right. She refused to cry because she said, if to cry would mean I would die the next day, the next mm. morning. So she oh. did not cry. And, and you could see she was malnourished. She was hurting. Mm. I really, you can feel her will, her steel yeah. will. Yeah. Of like, I'm not doing this. They are not going to win. If I'm going to leave this earth, I'm going to leave on my terms. And you know what? The thing is that's incredible is one of the most incredible experiences of, of my entire life is I went to a high school in Israel for a semester, my senior year of high school, and they brought survivors in. And one, a female survivor came in. And I remember thinking, ugh, like I didn't even care. You know, I'm a teenager. And even though I'm Jewish, I'm like, oh, I'd rather have my free time. So we're sitting there and she's telling her story. She was the only survivor. She watched her, her sisters and her brother and her mom and her dad be walked into the, the showers that ended up killing everybody and, you know, gassing them to death. She survived 
tells her whole story. We're like, I mean, I'm crying. Like, um, and this is a person and her perseverance mm-hmm. and, you know, moving on and having her own family. And she looks at us and her last words were ladies or gentlemen or kids or whatever she said. She said, I have one favor to ask. And of course, we're at the edge of our seats now crying. She said, never say you're starving. Just say you're hungry. You can say you're really hungry. So often when people say they're starving, I tell that story. And for them to remember, we don't know starving. Mm. And it just, I'll never forget that the rest of my life. I think I like the word that you used, Toby, that these are real people. And this was very personal, regardless of the characters were fictional or not. And I had to put the book down several times and step away. I mean, it was so emotionally heart-wrenching and, or I was frustrated <laughs> or I was mad or whatever it was. And I had to put it down and step away for a couple of days and come back to it. And that's how real it felt. And I literally could see, I could layer that time period in our current time, because like what you said, Toby, if you don't forget, it can happen again. It's, I feel that Every character that was represented is a character that one of us knows, at least Mm -hmm. one. And what would they do in this time period? And would they be the one to point the finger and get you arrested? I mean, they said that if you move sideways, someone would point you out and you'd get taken away. I mean, you couldn't do anything right. Everything was wrong. Would you be the one that's putting the letters in the mailboxes at the crack of dawn, knowing if you're caught, you could be executed? Would you be the one to have stolen the bike? (laughs) And because you're so frustrated and you want to fight back, and that was the only way you could is by stealing back the bike that the Nazis stole, that they're using now. Would you be the one to concede if you had a commander come in your house? I mean, there were so many things that really made me just stop and think, what would I do in this situation? And how, and going back to your point of resilience, how powerful the human is on so many levels, on so many levels, that will, that love, that resilience, that strength, that perseverance. And there were so many people helping them that weren't like the Jewish people. Like she wasn't Jewish. She was helping Jewish children. There were so many people, the nuns, so many people during that time that risked their lives too. Right. That we don't talk about. Yeah. That's so true. And then this is a story through the eyes of women. (laughs) That was another thing that was- So powerful. Like, you know, you mentioned Toei's not always the soldiers. These little, these groups that you have the guerrilla fighters that were living literally in the woods, the deepest and darkest part of the woods. You had the women that were doing their part, forging birth certificates. You know, she said if they were Jewish or not Jewish, mainly the non-Jewish women, because they were the ones that were able to stay behind. I mean, it just took one person, one 19-year-old to cross the Pyrenees almost 30 times. And how much of an impact that had, where she literally was the reason for these generations from these 117 soldiers to even be here. Right. And so when we stop and think that one action that we have may not have an impact, that's so wrong, right? Just Mm -hmm. one move. And you could be the one that's forging the birth certificates. Maybe you're the one that's crossing the mountains. Maybe you're the dad who's risking his life every single day, working for the highest level command of the Nazis, and he is literally one of the major part of the resistance, printing for the resistance, printing the newspaper, I mean, under their noses. And would you be a nook living this beautiful woman who clearly came from means, and she's living underground, being a part of the resistance, and a woman in the space of men trying to fight back. So I just thought that 
so many of these characters could be us or someone that we know. And that's what also made the story more personal and powerful. I was thinking like when I was reading this book, a few times that I put this book down, (laughs) I thought about, so we read Chanel and we read about allegedly what she went through during the, the war. And it was so different. Mm-hmm. between like the view of what she went through. And that was in France too. And that was in France too. Living in, with the elitist being at, I think the Ritz where she was at, uh, just a high level hotel with high level people. And just the, the stark, the difference between these, what the ones who had a lot, a lot, a lot of money were doing and compared to like, I guess the you could say the middle class, the country, people in the country, right. bookstore owner, just all the different ways that people were coping with the occupation, with the German occupation. And to have these women who were all pretty strong in their own way, not to say, say, cause I, like, we really don't know what Chanel did, you know, back then, but just how are you going to cope with all of this with these two, I mean, so different sisters, so different. But when you think about it, their parents, as we talk, like when you go back and forth with their history, when the author talks about it in the book, their parents did teach them how to be strong. They did see their dad come back from war. And I think through his pain, yeah, through his emotional absence, I think that Vian was like, I am not going to do this to my children. I'm going to do everything I can to protect them from this. And as the pain that I'm hurting and what I'm going through, they're not going to feel that. I'm going to show them love every day. Yeah. I do that all the time. And, you know, not that my parents had positives and negatives, but I definitely growing up would say to myself, well, that's definitely not something I'm going to do. Um, I did want to say one other thing, though, that's a life lesson that I would love to tell to the um, listeners. So it, it was subtle, but at the very, very end, Vivian is raising, well, he's Daniel now, right? Her best friend dies and she takes... Ari and then raises him as her, her own. And then as the war ends, there's a, some Jewish, I think it's a rabbi that comes to her house and says, look, there's cousins and we need to take him. And that's another loss. But there's something that is to be said about what Jewish people also say this, when you intermarry, and ironically, I did do that. So <laughs> but you run the risk. We're a small group of population. Um, they killed a lot of us and, and we really never rebounded, not having a lot of children. And so the risk was if she, if Ari or Daniel stayed with her, that we would lose another generation. And it was heartbreaking, but you'll hear that a lot in the Jewish circles. It's not a form of prejudice, just a fear of disappearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's very lightly touched in there, but I wanted to share that with you because it's, it is a common fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really emotional. Yeah. It was an emotional scene and it made sense, but it was really, it was definitely. Yeah, it made sense. It even was emotional to me. Like here, I'm a mom first. I really am before a Jewish person. And so in that moment, I was like, no. And I'm like, but I get it. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. Well, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. I think this is a good time to move into that theme. Who wants to touch on that? Mm. Well, I'm going to jump in because I, the love story between Gaetan and Isabel was so much, uh, my heart, <laughs> it was so pure and powerful. And they were so mismatched. You know, here's this young girl who is wandering in the woods 
early on when the bombing started in France and they're marching and she has to find her sister's house now on foot. And she smells something and she's so hungry and she's so thirsty and the smell draws her into the woods, deeper and deeper in the woods. And she sees a fire and there's this man behind the fire. And going back to your point, Barbara, being impetuous and what the author continuously says about her, she doesn't even think like, oh, I'm walking in the dark woods and there's a man. (laughs) Yeah. And he clearly lets her know that he's not going to hurt her. But this stranger feeds her and then protects her, literally throws his body on her when they're getting bombed as they're walking and marching out of further away from Paris. And days later, he helps carry her to her sister's house. And they were strangers. They were strangers. And he was risking his life for this young girl. And she tells him when they get to the house finally, and she's all ragged and torn up, her feet are on fire, and she's hungry and starving and all this other stuff. She says, I love you. And he doesn't return those words back to her. And he leaves her. She passes out. And when she wakes up, he's gone with a note that he leaves saying, you're not ready. (laughs) And so (laughs) like, that's it. Like, that's all he said. And she was heartbroken. And like you said, Barbara, that gave her that built, created that fire or made that fire within her even stronger to like, nope, well, that's not going to distract me anymore. I was completely stupid to tell this person I love them. And I am ready and I'm going to do something now. And then she just joined the resilience. And so to see that relationship, the two of them reconnect and in their best way, make that work in this war-torn time and how it ended, like the explanation point at the end for me. And we didn't even realize how it truly ended until the last few words of the story. And I actually thought the narrator was Isabel until the end. So I was crying. I thought she survived and I was like, oh, that's her. I really miss it. I'm like, did I miss that? And just absolutely the fairy tale that we all want (laughs) as humans, I thought occurred. And then it was completely the opposite. And I Mm -hmm. was just, I was really sad. I was heartbroken. Yeah. (laughs) Which is yeah. funny because that is the question that one of our listeners sent in was, who did you think the narrator was and when did you figure it out? Not till the very end, which is was this morning. I saved the last 15 minutes for this morning. And <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, that is so sad. And it happened so many times. And that's the whole character point. When I say it happened, it happened to a lot of people where they made it to the very, very, very end. Like, my gosh, you survived everything to not make it. Yeah. In the beginning, I thought it was Vion. In the very beginning, when they transitioned to this, to when the mom passed away and when they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, mm, I got this figured out. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have this figured out. And I was like, well, maybe it's a granddaughter. (gasps) Maybe it's Sophie. And I'm like, (laughs) like, well, who is it? Who is it? And then I would say about halfway through, I settled on. Isabel. And I'm like, oh, it has to be Isabel. I thought it was Isabel the whole time. Yeah. For me, I thought it was beyond. Then I was trying to figure it out with, was it the daughter? Was it a granddaughter? Like, who is this? And then I settled on Isabel. And I was like, if there was anyone that was going to make it through this war, it's going to be Isabel. (laughs) To then tell the story, right? It's going to be her. And the coping mechanism of Vivian, like the whole time, she always held things in. That was her way. And just it's not like at the end when he, she never tells her son anything about that. We want to think that's unusual, but if we look back at her personality, that's probably what she would have done. 
because she and she was protecting him and she didn't want him to know. But the, mm-hmm. it, you know, even at the end, they kind of kick you in the teeth when she says, "I should have just shared it from the beginning." And I'm like, "Really, really? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, really, because you can't go back." Yeah. I figured it was Vian because she did so many things that to uh-huh. me, like in the beginning of the book, it talked about the guilt that the author had. Like, so as I read through it, I was like, oh, this is Vian. She is just, really? she's doing a whole lot of things that she could. <laughs> oh, that, to me, that to me, I felt like if I had to go back, like, like I said, I, my initial was if I had to go back and think about these things, I would do something. I would do it differently. For sure. It did take me a while for me to realize as a mother, maybe those choices that she made were the only choices. But I mean, th- your little sister's going places in the middle of the night. You, you really think in the middle of war, she's going to go see a guy? Well, like, wait I a minute. I think that here's the thing. Here's the thing where I'm going to dispute that with you guys. If she was a sister without a family, then I would say that's a crappy thing to do. She had her own family to worry about. And I have my brother and my husband has his siblings and he loves them to death, but we are his core. He's not going to leave us to risk for them. And she had to protect her own family. You're right. Mm -hmm. I think that's what her purpose was. She was very young when she became a mother and her life was being a mother. And all of her decisions all the way to the very end were about being a mom. Okay. I'm going to talk about one last point in the story that I was not, there were so many points or so many places in the story that I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, didn't see that coming. So many plot twists. I mean, a phenomenal, phenomenal author. Looking forward to reading another one of her books. I want to know, before we close out, I want to know what are your thoughts about Julian and how he was conceived and how that was dealt with? I'm just such an open book. Like, I don't know if I could have done that, but I get it. I don't think I would have said anything either. I mean, this woman was violated. I mean, the only person that she's ever known was Antoine, who came back from a war that, you know, that could have destroyed him if he came back knowing that his wife, he couldn't, he goes to war to protect his family. And as a man, even though, like she said, he, he'll go back to those thoughts. Like, did I protect my family? Maybe she wanted it. Maybe she enjoyed it. Like, these would have been the thoughts that were going to be going in his head. And this is, and for all intents and purposes, this was her child. This is always going to be her child. Mm. And so he, that would have had to have been his child too. So with the intense emotions that you have towards someone who set out to kill you and doesn't think anything of you, like what did that fear say to her? He said, I'm not even going to think about you, but I bet you, you know, something along those lines, which you're sure going to be thinking about me. Like he, he was like so dismissive. Oh, I was, oh, I was just like, oh. Oh, I just wanted to gouge his eyes out. Yeah, but, but um, if you think about it, she proved, I was just saying like, you want to do the opposite of your parents. Like sometimes when it's negative and you, it frustrated you growing up and you prove them wrong. She did what he said. She never forgot about him, but she proved him wrong because she, she kept love. He never yeah. spoiled the love. So it was like the opposite. It was like, you, you lost because I won. I, I get to have this. And that was awesome. And that's what I loved. Julian was her heart. He, his family, I mean, Sophie was, at the end, Sophie said, "This is." she pretty much told her mom, we're going to forget about that part because what you're getting out of this is going to be love and it's going to be our family. And Julian brought them all back together. Julian gave them back the semblance of normalcy. That was so ironic. It was mm-hmm. so ironic. I don't think I would have told. 
I really don't. You know what? Isabel said something which I thought was really interesting before (laughs) she took her last breath. She said that they can destroy your body, but they can never destroy your soul. Something along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. They could hurt your body or change your body, but never just take your soul. And I, echoing what both of you said with Julian, yes, he was conceived through, you know, rape, but he, the Fuhrer was not going to take her soul by turning that into hate. She loved him with all her heart. And like you said, he became that magnet to bring the family back together. I thought it was really surprising that she fell out of love for Antoine. And maybe because she had been through so much, there was not much left of her to give anything. And what would have happened if they didn't conceive a child? That's another point, which is the perfect time to go into what happens next. I want Isabel to have lived. Hmm. I want her to have been able to have gotten healthy again and have to gone on to get married to Gatan Gatan and and to have had children mm. and just had the beautiful best friend relationship that her mother always wanted her to have with Vian. And I wanted for them to go on and just live just for the moment and just feed off of each other and just love each other and just ch- and then when their kids got older they would travel together and just just enjoy life. Vian could take a, a bit of her joie de vivre because Isabel wanted to live. Like she had so much fire. I just wanted to see that. I wanted to see what her life would be like if she had lived and, and gone on to have her own children and, and to be with the love of her life. I think she would have had a great life. Mm, how about you, Toby? Yeah, I like that. Well, I think if we were doing like what could have possibly happened next, not what we wish happened, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I deviated. <laughs> yeah, you did. I mean, I want that too. I mean, who doesn't? But um, I think that what could have happened next is Julian, obviously, Vivian, or she passes away. And because he went with her to this, he connects with a lot of people. And he, he it's devastating, but he learns the truth. But the truth doesn't devastate him because his mom's love was, it's just that it was that powerful. It just didn't matter. And through his connections, they, decide to pick up a cause to chronicle all the different paths and to keep telling the story, keep passing the story along, kind of in that let's not let this ever come again. So that's what Mm. I think could have happened. That's really great too. I'm going to take a different route from both of you because as I was reading towards the end of the book, not knowing who the narrator was until the very end or getting that confirmed, there was a lot of what happened next and that was coming to me. and. I'm going to go back to the point of when Antoine comes home and Ari is taken from her. So now they're just Sophie, Antoine. And what was going through my mind was that she and Antoine didn't make it, that they were never really able to bring that that love back that they had. And he leaves to America because I was trying to figure out when did she go to America? She keeps saying American, American. And she's only talking about this one child. Like, who is this person? And so in my mind, what happened next was she went to America with the baby and started over and chose to forget everything. And Sophie did not want to leave her dad because he she was waiting so long for him and she didn't want him to be by himself. And they agreed for Vian to move forward. And she knew based on how the baby was conceived, that probably would be the best thing because she couldn't live with herself or 
and then they were not coming together like they thought she thought she had thought was going to happen after the war. So that's what was going through my mind until yeah. they shared what truly happened to Sophie and that Antoine and her did make it through due to Julian. So for me, that's what happened next was she mm. went on to America to raise the baby on her own. Which I definitely see that. that I can see good. that too. Yeah, definitely sure. Oh, gosh. Well, it was like, so tragic and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> but you know, I, I wanted to say, let me just backtrack a little bit. I forgot to mention, like when we talk about her love, like falling out of love for Antoine, I think realizing that like her feelings for Beck kind of confused her too. I think it was just like, this guy, I should hate him, but he's treating mm. me like this is, he doesn't seem to want to be here. Just like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like they, mm. they had some type of common ground. And the fact that he was like uber attractive and she's very confused with her feelings. I think that kind of contributed to her, her attitude towards Antoine too. Like, had this been another life, had we been doing something different, would I still be with Antoine right now for me to be so connected to someone else? I think it was neat that they even were able to show that there was victimization within the Nazis because we tend to compartmentalize so many groups that this is group it represents this and this group, rep- even politics, but there's gray areas. And in that situation, she was surprised over and over again that he had a family, that he had love, that he had care, that he had sadness, that he didn't really want to be there, you know, that he had to be there. And that's really true about war, even against your enemies. It's not black and white. It's it's always mm-hmm. a gray area. So I definitely think that that was really great by the author to sneak that in. As a Yeah, film. I really appreciated all the different perspectives of how she's shown the war was being experienced by these different individuals. And yeah, I mean, they really humanized Beck. And he said, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up to be a soldier and protect my country. I didn't sign up for all these atrocities that I'm witnessing. And even the Fuhrer said that he referenced the, I guess, group that Beck came from and said, yeah, they're not as motivated or they're not there. They listen, but they're not, they didn't have like that same fire that they wanted out of the soldiers to just do whatever they wanted and loving all the horrible, horrible things that they were doing, like not even having any regret. And he regretted, he, he felt it. He was compassionate. He fed them compared to the second, <laughs> second guy that came into the house. So anyway, yeah, I thought that was amazing. And I want to just touch on again, the love component. Yes, this is about war and there's a lot of tragedy and it didn't end the way I wanted it to end in terms of Isabel and Gaetan being together forever. But the love that was shown by so many people, the, the mother at the church towards Vian and Antoine and Vian's love, and the ro- it was so beautifully romantic in the beginning when they described how they treated each other and, and how just beautiful the relationship was. And the love between Gaetan and you saw how much he struggled. Not, he wanted to tell her so much that he loved her, but he didn't want to break her heart if he died. And just loving her so much to not tell her he loved her. I mean, there were so many different aspects. And, and to say at the end of the book, when he says, I never stopped loving her all these years later. That gutted me. Yeah. And he named his, his child after her and just, gosh. Yeah. So amazing. And then how he said, you're just as beautiful as ever. And she was bald and missing teeth and no fingernails. I mean, we didn't even know truly the extent of what she went through. and. Then when he described or the author described what she looked like, right? oh, wow. And he said, you're as beautiful as ever. 
It was beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, I thought love was so powerful. At the end of the day, love prevails. I mean, strangers were risking their lives for strangers. Mothers were risking their lives for their children. The father sacrificed his life for his child. I mean, the love, I thought, was the the biggest theme that I took out of it. And even though I cried and it was tragic and all these other things, I was so inspired by the power that humans have, the love that they have for each other, regardless of their family or not. And we're all mothers and there's nothing like being a mom. Yeah. Exactly. This the strength. Yeah. So I think this is a good place to wrap this up. What do you guys think? Perfect. Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you listeners so much for joining us for another episode of Tuesday's Book Club. We covered The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, bestselling author. It's an incredible book. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you didn't get a chance to read it, even though we did a lot of spoilers, go and read it. It It's amazing. You will not regret that. Join us every two weeks for a new book, a new discussion. And we are excited to be back with you or (laughs) we will be excited to be back with you for our next show. Again, this is Tuesday's Book Club. I'm Nova Lorraine. And my ladies, where are you? You're going to say We're in Toby. <laughs> I like when you do it. Your voice is so beautiful. Yes. Thank you, my voice. And until next time, this is an exclusive production of Pink Kangaroo. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.